a lot of care needs to be taken with who is making films and what images are being sent around the world to represent us. It does us damage when we're misrepresented. It does everybody a disservice. So I'm hoping that the industry could move towards more authentic tales that are being told. And key to that is having more people of color in decision-making roles. Hey, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Curtis Rouser. This week, New York City welcomes the much-anticipated Urban World Film Festival. It's a celebration that puts BIPOC creatives at the forefront. And with over 100 films, the festival promises to be an immersive event for everyone. But it's not just about entertainment. It's about authenticity, community, and the genuine portrayal of diverse experiences. That's why we're a proud community partner of the Urban World Film Festival, which officially kicks off on November 1st. Today, I sit down with Karen McMullen, the festival's director and the head of programming. We explore the origins, evolution, and the future vision of the festival. From its humble beginnings in 1997, created by visionary Stacey Spikes, to its current expansive embrace of people of all color, the event stands as a testament to the power of storytelling and the importance of representation. This year's festival also brings a unique focus, emphasizing the creators and storytellers behind the camera. Let's dive in. Hi, Curtis. I'm Karen McMullen. I am the festival director and the head of programming at the Urban World Film Festival. Thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know it's, it's approaching quickly, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. So the first thing I would like to ask, of course, is can you kind of just give an in-depth like insight and overlook of how Urban World Film Festival came to be? So the Urban World Film Festival was started in 1997 by this visionary man named Stacy Spikes. And he wanted a place for Black creators to be able to show their films. It was hard then it's hard now to get into the bigger film festivals. And a lot of our stories were not being shown ever because there's not a lot of places that would um, would show them. So he created the festival in New York City 27 years ago. It started as a Black film festival, but it quickly expanded to include all people of color, which it still is today. So Urban World is a five-day festival. It takes place in New York City this year from November 1st to the 5th. We have for our opening night film, the debut feature of director Cord Jefferson. It's a film called American Fiction, uh, which has been getting a lot of press lately, and rightly so. It is a wonderful send-up of the literary establishment in the stories they want to hear versus the stories Black people want to tell about themselves. And it stars Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams and Sterling K. Brown. It's it's wonderful. That's our opening night film. We have three days of film screenings, and our last day is an awards ceremony where we, um, you know, award the the best of the fest as been voted by the audiences and juries. We have shorts, we have features, we have documentaries. We show streaming content. We have some TV episodes there. And we have we have a couple parties. We also have a day of panels called the Innovation Summit. And that's five or six panels from industry professionals discussing everything from distribution to the role of AI in filmmaking coming up to 
employing people of color behind the scenes. It's everything that filmmakers and audience members would want to hear about what's the, you know, the future of filmmaking. It's interesting for it to have been around um, since 97. And clearly the film industry has evolved so much since then, um, especially with the advent of technology. I hear you talking about AI and, you know, distribution is different now. So can you kind of speak to how the festival has also evolved over the years? Well, when we started, we showed all our things from film prints, you know, 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter projection in the cinema. And that's all we had, you know, and that's what there was. We didn't have TV content and we didn't have, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago, 27 years, but there was no, there were no streamers, you know, there were three TV channels, you know, there's just a handful of old school studios. So it's been really wonderful. The technology has been a point of access for a lot of filmmakers. Filmmaking used to be so exclusive because it was so expensive to buy on film. But now people can and do shoot movies on their cell phone. You know, if you have good content, you know what you're doing. You can produce something that's worth seeing. So we've found that we've been able to open up to more types of content for more people. We've been able to be international because people can you know, send us their content virtually or over the internet. They don't have to fly from South Africa to be in the festival, which is wonderful. So it enabled us to be more global in scope. We also, you know, during the pandemic, when, when things shut down, we had our whole festival online. So we're not doing a lot online this year, but it's great to have that option. And, um, you know, you can communicate, we communicate with our audiences through our website and through social media, of course. So it's a lot more audience engagement as opposed to those just five days during the festival. Technology allows us to be in touch with people and communicating with our filmmakers and our audiences year-round. Was there anything different about planning this year's festival, especially on the heels of the writer's strike and with the actor strike still going on? I'm sure that there were a few obstacles maybe that weren't there previously. So what was what was different about this year's um the planning that went went into this year's festival compared to previous years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um the festival is looking a little different this year because in the past we, you know, we have had everybody at our festival. I mean everybody, you know, from Ava DuVernay, Jay-Z, I, I can't even name all the people, Denzel Washington, David Oyelowo, just every person of color in Hollywood has been through the festival, which is fun. It's great. You know, we love these people and we're fans of their work and it's nice to be able to see them. Our festival is not huge, so it's pretty intimate. So if you're going to see, you know, these people, you're, you're rubbing elbows with them. We don't have that opportunity this year because the, the actors who are in these films can't attend, but the directors can still come. You know, and for me, I come from a film editing background. To me, a lot of times, you know, the directors who are creating these works get overshadowed by, you know, the beautiful celebrities on the red carpet. So I'm not disappointed at all that this year we get to focus on the makers of the content. Mm. Continuing on that, though, can you speak to some of the trends that you've observed from like this year's? films um were there any special trends in terms of type of films or like um genres 
or like in terms of the submissions and so on and so forth? So even though we are putting on this festival in the middle of an actor strike and just on the heels of the writer's strike, we still had a lot of content that was created in the past year. And in terms of trends that we saw in the submissions, I noticed a bit of um, people who were not traditionally behind the scenes, stepping behind the scenes. So we have Yvonne Orji from Insecure. She stepped out and created her first short film, which is in the festival. It's called Jamal. Very charming. We have the Riza from Wu-Tang Clan has co-directed a feature-length documentary called The Wu-Tang Experience live at Red Rocks Amphitheater, which is about the Wu-Tang Clan collaborating with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra to put on a show, which is a really great documentary. We have uh, another Broadway actress, um, a face you've seen before, a wonderful actress named Zainab Ja, and she also picked up the camera and created her own work. So I really love that that trend that people take matters into their own hands and, and, and are stepping behind the camera. We have Yasin Bey is featured in a film where he's not talking at all about his music career. He's talking about his favorite Spanish artist. And that is a short film called The Part of Me. So it's it's very interesting the breadth of content that these, you know, celebrities will will create. For sure. And earlier you mentioned how it started off as primarily like a black film festival and now it's open to everybody. How have over the years, how have you seen this particular festival impact the industry um, positively, especially for people of color that is kind of giving them a platform that might not have been accessible before? Urban World really stresses inclusivity and we we love showing a diversity of content and you know there's this commonality with people of color even if it's even if even when we're not from the same culture there are consistent themes around how we interact with family and food and our respect for the elders and our you know our interaction with the larger mainstream uh, community so even if it's not your people it's very easy to relate. And over the years, we've shown films from um, Mira Nair. She did The Queen of Katwe. That film premiered. We've shown films from um, Latino filmmakers. Last year, our Audience Award winner was Brownstone Bread by an Urban World alumni named Ila- Elaine DeValet. And, you know, we have Asian content. This year we're showing a film called Fry Bread Face and Me, which is a really heartwarming tale by a Native American director. And we find that when people from inside the community are telling stories, they don't focus on the trauma and the dysfunction that tends to get highlighted when mainstream movies are, are making our stories. So you get more family tales, you get more tales of love, you get more humor. And it's just very, it's like a balm to sit in the theater and know that the stories you tell are really going to reflect your authentic experience and you get to see the authentic experiences of other communities of color. Yeah, it's a healing, it's like, it can be really a healing space. That's amazing. And where would you like, like personally, where would you like to see the film industry grow, especially with 
the things we mentioned earlier with AI coming into play. And um, clearly now it's so much polarity, like in where people stand, like with politics and social issues and stuff like that. And clearly film and entertainment is a way to kind of bridge the gap for a lot of people. So what are some ways that you're hoping that this the film industry in particular can do those things and lead, you know, positive change in the world? Yeah, that's a good question, Curtis. You know, film is really a powerful medium. People, you know, you can't discount it as just entertainment. American film has, you know, spreads globally and it's the images that most of the world has of us is what they've seen on the screen. So a lot of care needs to be taken with who is making films and what images are being sent around the world to represent us. It does us damage when we're misrepresented. It does everybody a disservice. So I'm hoping that the industry could move towards more authentic tales that are being told. You know, um, when you have a film like Moonlight that just shows the interiority of, of people struggling with their sexuality or The Woman King that shows the history of powerful African women and African kingdoms. Those are images we haven't seen a lot of and we need more of. And key to that is having more people of color in decision-making roles. So if you have, you know, an all-white executive board and an all-white gatekeeper deciding you know, I don't. I won't say it's a deliberate exclusion, but if these stories are not foreign or foreign to them, then they don't understand the importance of promoting them. You know, lots of directors of color will tell you, "Yeah, I wrote a family story. I wrote a love story. I wrote something highlighting a historical feature." But Hollywood was not interested in seeing it. So I'm hoping as Hollywood is seeing the success of all kinds of interesting. Black stories and people of color stories from crazy rich Asians to get out, you know, that they see that these films do well, they're important, and they make money. So there's there's no there's no loss there. So I, I hope they move towards opening up the doors more and letting more people in decision making roles. Can you speak to the film festival in particular? What it's been around since ninety seven, so it's a substantial festival and it's, you know, um, the foundation has been laid over two decades. So I guess what's next for the festival in terms of like, where are some growth opportunities that you see with the changes that are happening in the film industry? And where would you like to see the, um, this film festival, like, I guess, expand its wings even more than it has? Um, Cause it's been successful thus far, but there's always room for growth. So what does that look like for you? Urban World has launched a lot of careers. A lot of filmmakers got their starts here. Malcolm D. Lee, who did Girls Trip and, you know, the Best Man franchise, he started at Urban World. Ava DuVernay started at Urban World. So I, I would love to just keep doing that. I see us as a launching pad for a lot of careers, and it starts with a short film. You know, people don't launch into the world with a fully baked feature film that's amazing. Um, so I, I really hope we continue to be as careful as we have been at recognizing new talent, giving them a platform. Short films often don't get the shine that they deserve, but they're a clear indicator of talent and voices to watch. And also on the back end, giving the the shine and the platform to the feature films that have been made that 
might play in the big festivals, but are not getting the prime spots. You're, you know, your top dog at Urban World. We, you know, we treat you like the superstar you are. Another way I would love to see us expand is that we we call all this great content for a five-day festival. And if you don't see it at the festival, oftentimes you don't get a chance. So I would love us to be able to do more year-round screenings. We started this year with a couple of community partner screenings over the summer. And it's just another opportunity for people to see this really great work that's not available elsewhere. Amazing. And I actually just have one last question. Aside from New York being the media capital of the world, why New York? What does New York provide for this for this type of event that maybe somewhere else wouldn't? Urban World is a great platform because it's in New York. There are other really powerful people of color film festivals around the country, but they're not in New York, you know, and we have the press, we have, we're a hub for the Academy. You know, there are a lot of Academy members who live here who can come, you know, it's a focal point. It's a cultural hub. So if you are seen in New York, if you can get America, if you can get New York city press and publicity, it matters. It's a it's a career changing move. So it's not just that the audiences will see it. We have executives from Paramount and MGM and Apple and Netflix who live in New York and who will come by. And you you know, you will get your film in front of those eyes, which is an important move if you want to expand your career. Well thank you again for um taking the time out. It's been great speaking with you and I'll look forward to 30 more years of Urban World Film Festival and just super appreciative of it being such a staple and like a launching pad, like you said, for some of the most notable notable people of color that are in the film industry. So thank you. Nice talking to you, Curtis. To learn more about Urban World Film Festival or to get tickets, visit urbanworld.org or click the link in our show notes. We're excited for the opening night screening of American Fiction in conversation with filmmaker Nia DaCosta. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Kara Rika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.